Please turn with me to your New Testaments, over to the book of Galatians, over to the book of Galatians, and we're going to drift down to about chapter 5, chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, Galatians, chapter 5. This chapter helps us, as does the whole book of Galatians, it helps us to deal with the religious world that is um, around us, even the culture that is around us in our day. Years ago, I got a book of sermons written by Gus Nichols, given to me by his son, Flavel Nichols. And one of the main sermons in there was, it's a question, is the Bible as it is adapted to man as he is? I love that question. That's a lifelong study. That, that one question is a lifelong study. Is the Bible as it is adapted to man as he is. The truth is, the more we study the Bible, the more we see that the world of biblical times is not a lot different from the world in which we are living. One of the problems that Paul is dealing with in writing this book is that there are some Christians now wanting to adapt some things from the old law of Moses and attach those to the gospel of Jesus. And the trend of that was going hot and heavy. And the trend means that not only would they want to adopt from the law of Moses and add to the gospel, but also adapt to other parts of other people's philosophies. And so what you get then is a hybrid religion. And if you just think about it, that's what people want today. They want a hybrid religion. They want a mixture. They want, they want parts of different religions that they like. And then they want to put it together and say, here's my faith. Here's my faith. And this is what Paul is uh, dealing with here in Galatians. And so to help us, we want to go through Galatians chapter 5 uh, together. And notice how he, he deals with the truth uh, versus some of these trends of his day. There are some great things here in Galatians 5. And just to get us an idea of where we're going, I want us to focus on uh, the great call that Paul has here. <clears throat> and then he's going to mention a great danger. And then he's going to get us focused again with a great focus. And then he's going to show us the great confidence that he has. And then he's going to explain the great abuse that is taking place in his day. And then also explain the great gulf between Christianity and the world. And then finally, encourage us in the greatest decision a person can ever make. So these greats are found in this Galatians 
5, and, and I think that you'll be able to see uh, the direction of this chapter pretty easily. Galatians 5, verse 1, discusses the great call. The great call. The call that Paul has here is he wants them to stand firm. You see that in your Bible? Galatians 5, verse 1. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. So therefore, stand firm. Stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The call here is to stand firm. This is a familiar phrase of Paul. This is something dreadfully needed in any any time of history, any time of, of living the Christian life. Let's notice in comparison, let's notice a couple other places where Paul used, going back to 1 Corinthians uh, 16. Jump back in your Bible with me. 1 Corinthians 16, notice his, his uh, phrase, phrases there. Verse 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says, uh, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and then let all that you do be done in love. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Jump back to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I now would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you stand, and by which also you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. All right? And so Paul's call here in Galatians 5 is to stand uh, firm. One other, uh, jumping over to Philippians 1, in verse 27, notice it's good that we let the Bible explain what it means. So notice Paul's uh, words in Philippians 1.27, Philippians one twenty seven. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We just can't say it any better than that. So, Paul's call here is that we would stand firm. Stand firm. Now, as he is discussing this standing firm here in Galatians 5 verse 1, he reminds us that Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. What has Christ set us free from? Certainly, He has set us free uh, from sin. We remember Jesus' words in John 8, 34, whoever continues in sin becomes a bondservant of sin. So certainly, He is setting us free from sin. But also, here in Paul's dealings and the problems that Paul is dealing with, the old law was a thing of slavery as well. In your Bible, in Galatians 2, notice um, verse number 4. Galatians 2, verse 4. He says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, 
so that they might bring us once again into slavery. These false brothers were trying to, as we mentioned, they trying to incorporate some of the Jewish traditions and elements of the old law into the gospel. And so why would you want to do that? That law was not meant to set a person free. That law was meant uh, to define sin for us. It was meant to uh, bring us to Christ, which it has done and can do. All right, so Christ sets us free as we think about this call. And also, Paul would remind us that th- these brethren here in Galatia, the southern part of Galatia, these brethren have been set free when they obey the gospel. Okay. So in general, Christ brings freedom, but specifically, personally, he brings freedom to us when we obey. Going back to Galatians three, twenty-six and 27, it says we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Okay. So they were set free when they obeyed the gospel. But Paul's biggest ideal here when he says stand firm is he's saying don't let this, don't let this freedom slip away. Don't let this freedom slip away by trying to Add by, by trying to, to uh, think in your mind that somehow you can improve upon uh, the gospel of Jesus. Look in Galatians 4, and beginning in verse 8, he says, Galatians 4, verse 8, Formerly, when, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slave you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul is urgent about this. Why do you want to go back to the things you were delivered from? Why do you want to go into the world again? Why do you want to go back uh, to the old law? And so the first great thing we see here in Galatians 5 is the great call that Paul has for them to stand, stand firm. Okay. Another big thing in this chapter is to notice the great danger from verses 2 through 12 in this chapter. There's a great danger. The danger is divided into different parts. As we have been mentioning, the first great danger is adding to the gospel of Jesus, adding to the word of God. Specifically here, they want to add to, um, they want to add circumcision from the old law. Okay, let's, let's read just a minute. Galatians 5, verse 2, beginning, Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you, you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So notice the if-then argument of Paul here. He says if you continue with this, okay, if you continue to try to hold on to the old law, then 
The death of Jesus is going to be of no profit to you, no advantage to you. Secondly, you're going to need to keep the whole law, which, which none of the false teachers were doing anyway. They, weren't, they were just wanting to hold on to their favorite parts of the old law. Okay? They weren't going back keeping the whole law. Okay? But then he also says, if you, if you continue in this, then you're going to be cut off from Christ. You're going to be severed from Christ. And you're going to end up falling away from grace. Okay? Some very bad consequences there, as you, as you can see. Notice in your Bible, Galatians 2 and verse uh, 21. Galatians 2, 21. The apostle says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification, that is salvation, if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See that? That's what Paul's trying to get over to them. You might recall that in your study of the book of Acts, they got down to a particular time in, in the early church history, and they, they had to have a group meeting, a big meeting in, in Jerusalem, recorded for us in Acts 15. And the theme of the meeting was this very thing. There were some Christians saying, except you be circumcised, okay, then you cannot be saved. And this kind of thought had now drifted up in the area of or I should say down in the area of Galatia and Phrygia and those places. So one big danger here uh, that he mentions is the danger of adding to. And isn't it just as dangerous to subtract from the law as it is to add to the law? Well, it is. And we need to be reminded of that. Uh, We mention quite often the, the passage, 2 John verse 9, where he writes, whoever goes onward and abides not in the teaching of Jesus has not God. But he that abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. So it's very important to realize this part of the danger of adding to, okay, or even taking away from. Okay, that's, that's just a, that's in, in the lightest terms possible, that is a no-no. That's just that's just, you just don't, the respect we have for God, the respect one has for God uh, should prevent him from ever going in that direction. Okay. Whether it be a person's individual thoughts or feelings or an organization's thoughts, feelings, or teachings, no matter what it is, we cannot add to the gospel or take away from it. Okay. That's one part of the danger he mentions here in Galatians 5. Notice the second part is what you might call just toxic people. Toxic people. You probably have toxic people that you know that sometimes are in your lives. It brings you stress. This is Paul's concern here that there are brethren who are coming in and causing this disorder uh, within these congregations. Notice in verse 7, Galatians 5, verse 7, he says, you were running well. What does he mean by that? You were running well. You were faithful at one time. Yeah. yeah the, the Christian life is often presented as some, something like a race. You know, like Hebrews 12, uh, verse 2 says, run with patience the, the race that is set before you. Okay. You are running well. 
And then what did you say in, in verse 7? Who hindered you? Who hindered you that you should obey the gospel? Obeying the gospel is not just a one-time event. Because the gospel has a lot more to say to us than simply how to get into Christ. We keep on reading and learning the gospel and keep obeying the gospel. And Paul was very concerned there are now people showing up who would hinder you from running the race and keep you from obeying uh, the gospel. Now, this is a very important verse for all of us. It's Galatians 5, verse 7. If you do any marking in your Bible, this is a good one. Because we, we often have family members who drift away or begin to think thoughts that concern us. Okay. 99.9% of the time, that means that somebody is in their ear telling them some things, encouraging them to think in the direction or act in the, in the direction in which they're going. There's somebody who has hindered you. Okay. Who's telling you these things? Whose example are you following? Okay. Who is having the most dominant influence in your life? Somebody, 99% of the time, somebody is there. And so you have to do one of two things. You either have to go to your child or go to your your friend and say, look, let me help you get armed to resist this influence of your friends. Or you just go right to the friend yourself and just confront them or do both. But the faith is way too precious not to do something. Somebody's, somebody has gotten in their ear. Somebody has stepped in okay, and having some influence that they shouldn't have. And this is what's happening here. He says, Who has hindered you from continuing to obey uh, the Lord? He says, verse 8, These people are not from the Lord. This persuasion that's getting to you, okay, these people, what does it say here in verse 8? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. Who is the Him who calls you? It's, it's the Lord, that's right. It's the Lord who calls you. These folks who are telling you to go away from the gospel, they are not, I don't, don't matter how much religiousity they have about them, you know, they are not from the Lord. This is not the one who called, called you. Okay. And then he goes on to say about these toxic people in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What does he mean by that? Yeah. A minority can do a great deal of harm. Okay. See, Paul is, not, Paul is convinced that most of the Christians in this area are, are running pretty good. But there's this minority of people who are beginning to have more influence and more influence and more influence. And that's, that's what's concerning him. Okay. Let's see if we can think of another place where Paul uses this. Turn back to 1 Corinthians uh, 5. Just one second. You remember there was a fellow in 
closely associated with the Corinth church who was basically having relations, sexual immorality with his father's wife. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. And then Paul talks about this and in verse 6 he says, your boasting's not good. In other words, they weren't doing anything about it. Your boasting is not good, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ is our Passover and he has been sacrificed. Okay. So, there's a great, great call here to stand firm, but there's also some great dangers that are presenting themselves. David, uh, unleavened bread has no leavening in it, so it won't rise. So what he's really saying is just to don't take just one bad apple and spoil the whole bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a small group, uh, if not confronted, can can do some harm. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. I would say also, if you look back to Galatians uh, 5, that one of the dangers was that they were spreading rumors about Paul. If you look in your Bible down to verse 11, Galatians 5 verse 11, he says, If I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that some were saying that Paul talks... Out of, out of the both sides of his mouth. Sometimes he sticks with just the gospel, but sometimes he also himself includes circumcision, includes different rites of the, of the old temple. And Paul said, well, if that's the case, then why are you persecuting me? Okay. You know that's not the case. You know you, whoever he's addressing here, these false teachers, you know I'm being persecuted by my own Jewish heritage because I am sticking with the gospel. Now, before we leave these dangers, notice the strong language that Paul uses here. He says um, in verse 12, I wish those who are unsettling you would, now this is English Standard Version, would emasculate themselves. Paul uses some language here, but the the end of this language simply means that he hopes these false teachers can no longer uh, multiply themselves, that they can't propagate themselves, that they will become impotent. That he hopes that the false teaching and that those doing the false teaching will be resisted by the brethren and therefore no longer have that influence. Okay. So, Notice the um, great call that starts this chapter, but also the great danger uh, that he mentions here. Notice the great focus in verses 5 and 6 before we leave that paragraph. I love what Paul says. Right in the midst of warning about this danger, notice his words here in verses 5 and 6 of Galatians 5. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
This is so important when you're, when you're dealing with conflict or when you're, when you're having to push back to the world. You've got to come back to the center of things and say, okay, let's, let's continue to remember what's most important. It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. Three big things. Your faith, the working of that faith, and the, motiv- the motivation of that faith, which is love. Okay. Very important for those staying on the path of righteousness never to forget where they should always be. Okay. What's most important, your faith, the working of that faith, and the motivation of that faith, which is love. Which is love. And so I love the way he, he sums that up for us there. I'm reminded of the little statement he makes to the Thessalonians. Just a few pages over in 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 3. He says... Um, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. That's, that's you've got to remember what's most important. You can't let people shake you up to the point where you, you, that you forget who you are. We, we belong to the Lord. And we keep going back every day to strengthen our faith, to strengthen ourselves in love and in hope. So notice the great focus he has uh, there. And before we leave this section, notice in verse 10 the great confidence that Paul has here. This really struck me. Okay. You're welcome to comment on it, but look in verse 10. Even though all these things are going on, and there are some dangers, notice what Paul says in verse 10. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Okay. I notice that's a beautiful statement. Paul's confidence in these brethren, that's just part of his faith. He, he was always like this. No matter who he was speaking to, he always thought the best of his brothers in Christ, his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, even though all these things are happening, it's really not anything. Jesus warned us about this. He said, you will have these things, you will have these conflicts with the gospel. He says, I have confidence that you will be able to resist the world. And and these brethren, if they don't change, will get the punishment that they uh, deserve. All right. Now let's move on to couple of other great things. In verses 13 to 15 in Galatians 5, he mentions a great abuse that's taken place. Let's read it together. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed uh, by one another. So three parts to this abuse. Okay. They, are, they are abusing their freedom. Okay. Don't use your freedom as an occasion to the flesh. And I suppose it goes like this. Okay, I'm forgiven of my sin. Okay. I'm 
got that part taken care of. Now I can go do what I want to do. Our denominational brethren are at fault in teaching this kind of concept that, that once you bring yourself to Christ, then your eternity is secure no matter what you do. Okay? No matter what you do after that. And that kind of thought seeps into other people's minds as well. That's an abuse of freedom. We're called to freedom in order to live as free people. To live as free in Christ, not to live as we would want to live. Okay. We are free to do as we ought, not as we want. Somebody said that to me the other day. I think that's a good statement. We are free to do as we ought to do, not as we want uh, to do. All right. So there are other passages that are similar to this, I guess, uh, it's good to uh, reflect upon those. One is First Peter two uh, sixteen. Yes, this is similar. First uh, Peter two sixteen. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. How could someone use their freedom as a cover-up for evil? If you don't say something, I'm not either. Because I don't, don't know if I have a good example of that. But it says it can happen. How can someone use your freedom as a cover-up? People do it all the time. It usually, it usually starts with, I'm a Christian, but that's how they justify the sin they want to commit I don't gossip, but here's this juicy bit of gossip. I don't, I don't gossip, but here's some. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I don't get angry, but here's my rant and tantrum about whatever's on my soapbox mind right now. Okay. So it's possibly some in, in the minds thinking, because I'm a Christian, I have a right to be angry or have a right to... I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm just doing this sinful thing, but, but I'm a Christian. You can't, you can't get mad at me because I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, but here's this sinful act that I want to do. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty good explanation of it. It's, um, it's, it's interesting and it's also a, a little sobering to think about how our minds, the, the directions of our minds, and how we work that out. Self justification is, is a danger. All right, so that's the sample there from 1 Peter 2.16. There's the abuse of freedom. The abuse of freedom. But also back there in Galatians 5.13-15, there is the abuse of the law. The people were so concerned that the law of Moses was going to be left out, but they misunderstood the law. The law can be summed up. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That takes care of a lot of specifics of the old law they were worried about, and then when you get over into the law of Christ, uh, it's just a perfect law, especially if you understand love. Especially now that we have the example of the love of Jesus, the love of God displayed in the life of Jesus, even all the way down to the cross, 
Uh, you follow that kind of love, you're going to be lawful before God. See? So they were abusing the freedom, abusing love, abusing law, but also abusing one another. They were biting and devouring one another. They were, they were destroying the very thing that they thought that they were helping. So notice that great abuse. But we need to get down to verses 16 onward where Paul discusses this great gulf. Okay. And you can read it here. There's a great gulf between the flesh and the spirit. Okay. And we read it beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Okay. So there's a battle, a gulf, if you will, between uh, the impulses of just doing what the flesh wants us to do, and then the pursuit of the will of God the pursuit of the instructions of the Spirit of God. Okay, That's the battle. That's the gulf. There's a big difference between those two. Okay, Just acting on the impulse of the flesh, there's a big difference in that kind of life and following the instructions of the Holy Spirit in His Word. Okay, Big gap between those two philosophies in life. And Paul wants us to recognize uh, that. It's so important as we deal with the temptations of the world to understand that those two do not, do not meet together. Okay? And that's what, basically what they're trying to do in, in some of these places is merge the two together, at least elements of the two uh, together. When you look at the um, works of the flesh, the works of the flesh. Notice what Paul says about the works of the flesh. We just read it there. He says, they keep you from doing, verse 17, the things that you want to do. Okay. The works of the flesh will get a grip on us. Okay. Some people call it a death grip. But they'll get a grip on us. And it will prevent us from doing the things that really we want to do. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus once said. And if we're not careful, we will, by nature, according to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 3, we will by nature do, do those things that bring wrath upon us from God. They become second nature to us. Okay, that's the danger of the flesh. It becomes part of us, and we don't even realize it because it's become normal to us. We don't even realize that we're following flesh. These works of the Spirit can be divided into three kinds of problems. And if you, you've probably heard this before, but it's an excellent commentary on the works of the flesh, okay? There are purity problems. Purity problems. You see this in the works of the flesh. Um, the first one mentioned in verse 19 is fornication and then sensuality, impurity, okay? Purity of problems. Okay. And then he mentions idolatry. Okay. That would be a priority problem. Other, other gods 
are getting in the way or, or, or replacing the true God. Okay? Or other things are getting in the way of God. That's a priority problem. And then, of course, much of the works of the Spirit, many of the works of the Spirit of the flesh, many of the works of the flesh have to do with people problems, strife and envy and divisions and factions and that kind of thing are mentioned here as well. And so if you think about it, these are the problems of the flesh, purity and priorities and people. Any one of those or a combination of any part of those can really destroy a faith. Now, notice what Paul says. He puts up against that the fruit of the Spirit. How many parts are there to the fruit of the Spirit? There's like 15 works of the flesh mentioned here. How many fruit parts of the fruit of the Spirit? None. None. And at the end of the fruit of the Spirit, notice what he says. Against such things there is no law. You see that? What does that mean, do you think? Against such things there is no law. can't convict you for doing these things. You can't be convicted of sin for doing the other. If you're doing these things, you can't be convicted of sin. Okay. Anybody else want to take a jab at that? All right. Do following this, this path, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you're not going to be doing wrong. You're not going to be doing it. So in a sense, Paul is elevating the fruit of the Spirit. He said, if you want to stay away from the works of the flesh, then look here. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. Okay. But then notice that he is saying here, you've got to choose which life you're going to uh, follow. Which life are you going to choose? Jesus said, you know, way back in Matthew 12 and verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Paul's saying simply the same thing here in more words. You've got to make a choice. Are you going to choose the impulses of the flesh? Or are you going to choose the fruit of the Spirit? The choice has to be made. And then I think Paul is talking also about replacement here. Replacement. It's not just enough to make the decision, but the good has to replace the bad. Okay. So he's elevating this fruit of the Spirit. Okay. You are to think on these things. You are to uh, have these things constantly going and recycled in your life. And if you do, then, as you guys have said... You're, you're, not, you're not going to be overcome by sin. You're not going to live a perfect life. None of us do. But you're going to miss a lot of the temptations that's out there because you're too busy doing the fruit of the Spirit. And so that needs to replace it. It's a good study. Each of these little thoughts have their own little study. Okay. And uh, the clock is your enemy here. But like uh, in Ephesians uh, 4... Uh, let's see. Yeah, Ephesians four twenty-two. He says, "Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. See that? Put off, put off the old self, put on the new self. That's very similar here to uh, Galatians 5, but also uh, Colossians 3 and verse 8. He says, But now, but now you must put them all away, such as anger and and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Put all that away from your mouth. Don't be lying to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its uh, creator. Okay. And he goes on to tell us what that new self ought to, ought to look like. And so I wanted us to see this great gulf. And Paul is mentioning this great gulf here. And that's so important to see as we deal with the world around us, as we deal with our own temptations, to see what Jesus would have us to see. It is a big battle every day. It is a big battle. Okay. Well, let's see. We started with a great focus and great dangers and a great call. Notice Paul's great confidence in these brethren. The abuses that he warns about and then this great gulf that is fixed between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll let that bringing into our class. Thank you so much for thumbing through some of these uh, words, sentences, and pages of, um, of our Bibles.